Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Power Hour podcast. We've got a great lineup, so let's get started. Good morning, everyone. This is Bill Miles with the Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber of Commerce, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. We've got really an exciting lineup of speakers and uh, uh, some of the finest people in golf that we're going to get to hear from today. As we all know, it's a, a big week uh, uh, for South Carolina with the PGA Tour uh, being at Kiowa. Uh, we know the RBC Heritage was a, a fabulous event. And then also coming up in about 22 days, I believe it is, we'll get to have the Palmetto Championship at Congaree. Joining us this morning, we really have two of the most well-respected PGA Tour pros and leaders uh, in the world. And I'm pleased to introduce to you John McNeely. And uh, John won't be on camera this morning. John is in his car driving to the PGA Championship in Kiowa. I'm sure that doesn't really surprise us too much. But, you know, John's the director of golf and executive program director of the Congaree Foundation. Uh, He's been associated with and has taught some of the really the finest players uh, on the finest courses. Uh, he's also the president of Diamond Creek, which is a top 100 Fazio course in North Carolina. And I think it's important to note that he co-founded that in 2002. Uh, as far as instructing winners, he's also done that at the collegiate level, also the LPGA Tour, the PGA Tour, and then the European Tour, as well as the Champions Tour. He's instructed uh, presidents and the and the king of uh, Morocco. Um, so. Great to, great to have John joining us. And then i also like for you to meet another friend of ours who is Bruce Davidson. And again, another champion of golf, uh, director of golf and executive program director at the Congaree Foundation. When you talk to uh, Bruce, you'll be able to hear him and his Scottish accent as he's a Scottish native and also associated with some of the finest courses in the game of golf. He was awarded the master professional status by the PGA of Great Britain during the 2015 Open Championship at St. Andrews. And he's also coached Masters champion Mark O'Meara and Ian Woosman, and then also uh, many other PGA Tours. And so we're delighted to have with us this morning, both John and Bruce, and we'll be able to see Bruce. And then uh, John, I hope you continue to drive safely as we're uh, we're going through our our program this morning. I thought just to get us started that uh, uh, in the video a little bit, it talked about Mr. McNair and Mr. Friedman, uh, I thought it'd be interesting for one of you to touch on their dream, their vision, and how Congaree came about. Well, Bill, thank you. Uh, Dan Friedkin uh, had a vision to create a golf club that was uh, to to college together like-minded individuals who were philanthropic uh, in their outlook to life. Uh, Mr. McNair became involved. He was a South Carolinian, South Carolinian guy, as you know, a big uh, Gamecock guy. And all of a sudden, John and I had uh, two partners who uh, couldn't, we couldn't have gotten better partners to do the project. Uh, their vision, we executed. Um, and we're very happy where it's, it's four years, only four years, it's our fourth year since we've opened. So to, to snag a PGA Tour event that quickly in our, in our lifetime, I think is, is terrific. Tell us a little bit about uh, really going from what will be is one of the best kept secrets in the in the southeast, if not in the country. And then uh, in 22 short days, uh, the word will be out about Congaree and, and really what a special place that is. 
tell us tell us uh, uh, how that will really affect the overall mission and and values of the club. Well, as you know, as everyone knows, I think who who is aware of our club, um, the Congaree Foundation is is supported by our ambassador membership. And to this point, um, we've done lots of things, which I know we're going to touch on during this this show, but. To have our club in the national and international spotlight with this PGA Tour event will essentially raise us to a different level where people all over the world will be able to see what Congre Golf Club has done. And we're very excited about that. And of course, financially, the, um, the tournament itself is to give a check for half a million dollars to our foundation, which makes a big difference in the lives of underprivileged children. That's terrific. And uh, know that uh, is where your heart is. And um, that's wonderful that you'll be able to do that. Thinking back to really since the beginning uh, of Congaree, knowing that the golf course has always been ranked as one of the best new courses in the country. Uh, tell us why you think the course has, has struck such a chord with experts and, and golfers alike in the, in the golf industry. I defer to John on that one if he's on. If he's not on, I can take it. John, if you could unmute us, unmute. Uh, I think we see you there as far as being on. Bruce, it looks like we're going back to you. He may be out of service right now. Okay, so our idea was simple, Bill. We wanted to build a golf course. And when I say we, Mr. Freakin, Mr. McNair, John and myself, we wanted to build a golf course that was unusual um, in many respects for this country. Uh, in my country, it's quite often that golf courses are brown in color. If, if the big man upstairs that says it's not going to rain and the golf course is not going to be green. But somewhere along the way in, in the United States, it became sort of known that if a course wasn't green, it wasn't any good, which of course it isn't. I mean, if the golf course is firm, then the ball runs. And for many reasons, that's good for the, for the lady player or the senior player or someone looking for a little bit more distance then obviously if the ball's releasing, then the course plays shorter. And for the better players, then they can't hit driver everywhere because they may run out of fairway. So there's a reason that U.S. Open courses and Open Championship courses are essentially firm and fast because it, it tests the best players in the world. So we wanted to do that. When we happened upon the piece of land that Congaree is on, John and I could not believe the sandy subsoil, as was said in the video. And we kept thinking as we walked around, we can't be this lucky. We're not going to get enough acreage to build a complete golf course where it would be real sandy subsoil. But for whatever reason, in that part of the world, right there in Risland, South Carolina, it's almost an Australian-type sand belt. As I said, in Britain, it would be called Heathland, which is not Lynxland, but it's not Parkland. So you have this wonderful soil. So when we happened upon the soil, um, again, in, in Scotland, people say, you know, well, God makes the best golf courses and an architect can only mess them up. So we had the best architect in the world, Tom Fazio, and the best piece of land we could ever have with the most magnificent oak trees hidden. It, it was, it was a, 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 a lot of pine trees growing there, but these, these trees have been hidden for literally hundreds of years. So we found all these trees. It was, it was almost like it was meant to be that there would be a golf course at Congaree. What, what makes Congaree such a good, a good fit for the PGA Tour? Oh, it's hard. 
I mean, I, if, if you've played it, you'll know. Uh, we have a lot of tees out there. We don't actually have tee markers, which we think is cool. So you can play wherever you want. No rules, just right. You can go forward, you can go back, you can play the holes from different angles, uh, which, which our, our ambassador members really like. But if you step back just a little bit too far out of your comfort zone, all of a sudden a, a, a difficult course becomes really difficult. And what we wanted to do and what we tasked Tom with was that the best player should win. So that should we ever be lucky enough to have a PGA Tour event, we kind of know the best player is going to win because you have to have all the shots and you have to be able to control your trajectory. Also, you have to be able to move the ball both ways. John, I don't know if you're in, in range yet or not, but if you are, I uh, would love for you to talk a little bit about the relationship between Bruce and you and, and how uh, – um, how that's evolved over the years, really, and, and what uh, good friends and colleagues you both are. Bruce, it looks like we're back to you. <laughs> well, you know, they say if you have an accent, that's where it gets you on TV, right? Hey, John, there? Can you hear me okay? Can you hear yeah, me okay, John, buddy? Yes. Good morning. We How do, John. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, and sorry for the trying to find a little hole out here at Kiowa. It's a little windy, but uh, no, thanks for the, thanks for the time. And uh, Bruce and I have been pals and best friends for 40 some years now. And we both had uh, great, great mentors with Dan Friedkin and Bob McNair. And that's kind of how all this got started, but we've, uh, we've really enjoyed the, uh, uh, what we've been challenged with in trying to make this something that would be a global uh, club as well as the local community enjoying and being able to participate uh, at the Sarge and at the high school, et cetera. So um, our friendship's been uh, the, one of the most meaningful for me in my, my life. And uh, to have that with Dan Friedkin and Bob McNair wanting to continue on with what our idea was to try to help young people, it's just been terrific. Well, it uh, it shows in the, the quality of the projects that you all are involved in. And then it's also I know it's going to show uh, to the world with the, the fabulous event that we're going to have at Congaree here and uh, starting in 22 days. You know, I, I think that uh, Congaree made its debut. It's number 39, I think, in the Golf Digest of America's top 100 courses. Tell us a little bit what type of long term think that uh, recognition like that will have for Congaree. Well, it, it, it sure been great to hear the guys even down here this morning and the players that have been out the last week or so coming out to play some practice rounds. They just about 100% have made comments to the point of it sure is unique. Uh, looking forward to it. They, they've, they've been very high marks given for the, the differences in what Bruce was touching on earlier about the green and the softer, we, we're, we're kind of a little bit on the light green and firm and fast. And the guys have just just about to each one have commented on how much fun it's been when they come out to practice and pitch around the greens. And it's really, a, you know, a second shot golf course where the, the driving areas are ample. But around the greens, um, it's, it's pretty strategic. So really have enjoyed it. It's been, uh, been nice to hear a lot of those. Uh, comments from some of the best players in the world. 
we uh, think back to your to the foundation and the importance of that. Um, we know it's it's really making a difference in in young people's lives. Let's talk about how the 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 getting college acceptance in and really focusing on golf and how that uh, uh, you've seen that transform lives as Congaree continues to grow. Well, the um, we have our signature program. We call it CGGI, which is Congaree Global Golf Initiative. And essentially what we do is we try and identify kids from all over this country, all over the world, who are good enough to play golf in college and therefore gain scholarship dollars, but perhaps have no way of getting there. They might have geographical problems. In other words, they may live in, a, in Kenya or Argentina or Brazil and don't know how to get to college in America, or they could be Europeans like me. Um, and essentially all these kids are from lower income families, but they have great GPAs. So they're gonna be able to get into college because they should. Uh, and then we, we take them to Congaree for a week. We're now doing two weeks at Congaree and we do a week internationally. Unfortunately, this, this year's international uh, clinic that we do or camp that we do in, in Scotland in Archerfield will be virtual again because of, of COVID. But no kid gets left behind. Last year we did virtual kids, 17 kids were done virtually. So what it is, it's, a, it's an immersive preparatory week. A lot of these kids would be the first uh, person in their family ever to go to college. So they really don't have a, a grasp of how difficult it is to get into college. So when they come to Congaree, they do a lot of SAT prepping and then they sit SAT tests. They do ACT prepping. They do college application letters. They, they uh, interface with our academic advisor. They interface with an athletic advisor. John and I give them tuition, ping, give them all golf clubs. Every single kid, if they need clubs, gets new clubs. Peter Millar, give them clothing. Um, and at the end of this week, they have a clearer pathway of where they, where they should be going. Um, for example, um, we had one young lady who said that, that she wanted to go to Harvard and be a doctor, which is great, but nobody in her high school of 800 people told her that with her GPA, she was never going to get into to, to Harvard. But the guidance counselor talked her through that, and, the, and then the, the, the academic, academic advisor, athletic advisor, they help her find a college suitable for her um, academic ability. And then, of course, we can match them up then with a golf coach. And she got 100% scholarship to another college, obviously, but she got 100% scholarship playing golf. And most of our kids who've come through the, the program who are age eligible have, have gone to college. So far, we've helped gain $2.2 million of scholarship money for them. Um, we, we've got 68 graduates of that program. And this year, we'll do another 36. And Mr. Freakin wants this to be global. So we're talking to people in Brazil. We're talking to people, we're, as I said, we're doing Europe. We're talking to people in Australia and talking to people in the Middle East about making this program even bigger. So hopefully we'll have 100 kids a year going to college. That's terrific. Congratulations. And thank you for the great work you're doing with that. Let's transition for just a minute to the, the week of uh, uh, June 10 through 13 for the Palmetto Championship. You or John, just touch a little bit on what that week will look, look like, uh, talk about ticket sales, and then we also will be posting how uh, our viewers today will be able to click on a link and, and purchase tickets. Well, we'd like, we'd like uh, 
everyone in the area to come out and see Congaree. We can guarantee them a fabulous week. Um, Mr. Freakin doesn't do anything that's not done correctly. Uh, and when I tell you the fan areas look good and the, the, the everything about the, the whole the merchandise tent, uh, the course itself, the, the, the sheer availability of walking and being close to the best players in the world, in my opinion, will be unsurpassed because we don't have any grandstands other than the skyboxes on 18. So literally with 5,000 fans, which I think is what we're going to do, you will be as close to Dustin Johnson and Matthew Fitzpatrick and Ian Poulter and all the guys that have signed up. We're expecting a great field. We've already got a few top 10 in the world. We know there's a lot of Europeans going to come because Paddy's coming, Paddy Harrington's coming. So all the guys who are trying to get in the Ryder Cup team and impress him will be there. Uh, we're expecting a few more top 10 guys to sign up. We've had a couple of real marquee players tell us that if they don't qualify for the US Open, they're going to come. And we are excited. So we, we just want as many people from Hilton Head, from Rizland, from Savannah, from Charleston, come on and support the club. It'll be great. And it'll help gain uh, $500,000 for our kids. Terrific. And uh, so I know tickets are going well. And uh, we'll have a, a, a link posted in the chat box there on how our listeners and viewers today can go on and and uh, make that purchase. It's going to be once in a lifetime, really opportunity probably for most of us to be able to get out on the course and and uh, see what uh, Congaree is, is all about. And I know, uh, John and Bruce, I salute you, wish you the best, and want to say thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, know that we're here and just the support's here and, and the community is excited about the Palmetto Championship of Congaree. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you all. appreciate the chance to be on the show. Forward. Thank you. Thank you very John, much. Enjoy your, John, enjoy your day at Kiowa today. PGA Championship. Thank you. We are, and it's a beautiful day down here. Appreciate all you guys and your support of the tournament. All right. Have a great day. Well, Thank that you. was fun. That was fun hearing about the, the Palmetto Championship at Congaree. And, you know, it really wouldn't have been possible without uh, the state of South Carolina, as well as uh, uh, the director of South Carolina Parks, Recreation and Tourism. And that's our, our partner and in uh, Dwayne Parrish. And Dwayne really understands how these three PGA Tour events will position, further position, I guess I should say, South Carolina as, as a leader in the sport and, and really the, the full exposure that we're going to be receiving this week at Kiowa that we received at Harbortown a few weeks ago and then uh, in, a, in a 22 days back at, um, at Congaree. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. I know it's a busy week for you being with the PGA Championship, but uh, we appreciate you making time to join us this morning. Thank you, Bill, and uh, good morning to you too. And it's a pleasure to be uh, a pleasure to be back with you and your and your, and your folks. I um, I guess yeah, I, I would say that uh, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to rephrase the, the the so South Carolina swing. I think is the way that uh, Jim Nance sort of rephrased it. I guess that's the best way I would say it. People ask what it, why it's important and what it means to us. Um, from a South Carolina standpoint, you know, starting with the RBC Heritage in uh, April, um, now the PGA Championship taking place this week at Kiowa. And, and John, hope you have a great time there, uh, if you can still hear me. And and then followed up by the PGA, PGA excuse me, the um, Palmetto Championship at uh, Congaree. 
I mean, what a wonderful time for golf in South Carolina and probably a life, a once in a lifetime. I've heard that phrase once in a lifetime opportunity for the state and like once in a lifetime opportunity for people to see Congaree in many respects. But, you know, it comes at a time when, you know, we've come out of this pandemic. Um, outdoor recreation has taken an all time high. Everything from uh, camping, boating, fishing to golf is on and on, you know, has been up dramatically since the pandemic and things have started to reopen. Golf in our state has been up over double-digit growth, uh, close to 15% statewide since the month of June of last year. So we know more people are playing golf. We know there's a lot of cabin fever. And so, you know, with vaccinations up and a and, uh, number of cases down, we thought what a great opportunity and a great time for South Carolina to sort of showcase the golf that we have in South Carolina. We're fortunate to do it every year there at Harbortown with the RBC Heritage. And then the PGA Championship, obviously following up from 2012 and again this year. And then now the um, the uh, Palmetto Championship at Congaree. And so what a great time for us. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, and for, for advertising standpoint, which is our marketing in South Carolina is our primary responsibility, as most of you are aware. But for us, this was an opportunity. We have 16 spots that will run during on the Golf Channel on Thursday and Friday and 16 spots that will run on CBS that Saturday and Sunday. And we thought, you know, this is an opportunity for us, you know, to sort of play with the big states like California and Florida, because these are national broadcasts and really sort of showcase what we have in golf. Uh, we have over 350 courses in our state, but even beyond the golf, the great story to tell everything else in South Carolina there is to see from the mountains to the sea, um, to the food scene, to the low country and, and, and everything in between, which we'll sort of showcase with three different spots during that time period. But, you know, it came down to um, sort of those things. They presented the opportunity to us. We've always had a great relationship with the PGA. Um, Congaree has had that, too. And, and Congaree, as you just heard from John and, and Bruce, what a wonderful story they have to tell. We thought, well, you know, what a great partnership between the state, um, Congaree, and then the PGA Tour, and an opportunity to sort of really put us in the forefront. And this is not just important for Hilton Head or for uh, Jasper County and Ridgeland. It's important to Myrtle Beach. It's important to Charleston. It really is important to all of the golf in South Carolina, but particularly along the coast. If you think about someone that lives in, say, Columbus, Ohio or Topeka, Kansas, and they see Calabogie Sound during the, um, during the RBC Heritage or they see the ocean, which they'll see this weekend at, uh, um, at, at the ocean course at the PGA Championship at Kiowa, and then they'll see really some wonderful scenes of the low country at Congaree. That really is sort of South Carolina golf as a whole. It doesn't necessarily mean that specific place. And they're not just like, I'm not sure I could pinpoint where Columbus, Cincinnati, and, and Cleveland are on a map. I'm not sure they can pinpoint exactly where Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head, you know, and Ridgeland are on a map. So to them, it's important about taking that trip. And our surveys now say that, and I'm sure yours uh, mimic this, Bill, is people are going to take more trips the rest of this year. And that includes golf trips. And that's what it's about for us is getting more people in the cars or planes, as the case may be, and getting them to come to South Carolina to take that golf trip. We know golfers stay longer. They spend more money. Um, and it's just a great thing for us. It, it is certainly a niche in our tourism market, but by far the largest niche. And places like Hilton Head along the coast, you know, are, is a great example of how strong golf is in our state. I know their business along, uh, along there, it's tough to find tea time sometimes now which is a fantastic problem to have. And so what a great time to showcase South, South Carolina on national television, you know, three months in a row. And what a great time it is for us for, uh, to take this sort of, you know, and really sort of put the pedal to the metal, if you will, at a time when golf is on the rise to take advantage of that.
And Bill, I just appreciate the opportunity once again to come on and talk to your folks and uh, appreciate being here. Thanks, Dwayne. And a couple questions for you that we've had. And first one is about uh, the PGA Championship. And is that, will that be at full capacity this week? Um, no, it's not full capacity. They're limited to about 10,000. They would normally on a, on a busy day, draw somewhere between 25 to, it depends on the day of the week and the weather, obviously, but somewhere between 25 to 30. So it's not full capacity. Um, and as we learned during the heritage, the, those that are able are fortunate enough to be able to watch in person, it can enhance the experience with a low, with a smaller crowd. Of course, the television coverage still is phenomenal and there's still many uh, fans, you know, that you'll hear cheer in the background, but not full capacity, but rising, rising every week as you see, it's rising. I noticed that USC baseball this week up their capacity 100%. You see that with Major League Baseball. I think as golf goes through the year, you'll see capacities increase. What, uh, what do you see as the growth of golf? And I know I've heard you share statistics before about the, the economic impact golf has. And I've heard you also say that, but from this uh, South Carolina swing, that the three the three events that are going on that uh, we look to really even see it increase more. And if, I don't know if you have those numbers on the top of your head that you might be able to share about what that overall impact of golf golf is and what we'll sure. see it grow to. Golf for us traditionally, our, our most recent numbers are from 2019. We know it's probably higher in 2020, despite the close down in March and April was golf is a $2.7 billion impact for the state. Um, we think we can get that to $3 billion impact pretty quickly. And quite frankly, this, this three tournament run here this spring is a big way to do that. You know, we've got a, while we don't have, but a few courses opening up in the next few years, we do have courses that have been um, remodeled. You know, there's been capital money put back into the courses have been redone. And so, you know, golf is, and there'll be more of that now with additional play. But, you know, equipment sales are up, lessons are up, golf rounds are up. You know, everything is headed in that right direction because golf was a place to social distance early on. And it's sort of stuck. I mean, I think the baby boomers, their baby, baby boomers, the population have picked it back up. And then there's a new generation of uh, golfers that are coming up from the sort of millennials, if you will. They're taking the game up. And so I don't see that slowing down. I see more, um, more and more golf rounds being played. And I see more and more top golf locations being opened up around the country. What uh, what going back to Congaree for a minute? I know you've had the opportunity to play there a couple different times. Uh, what's your favorite hole? Gosh, um, <laughs> I can tell you some of the hardest holes, but I, I would say number two is probably one of my favorite. It's a part. It, it's it's a uh, par five uphill. You tee off from a, a tee box, kind of in the middle of a of a what, low country setting or what I would call low country wetland setting. It's just an individual box over a boardwalk. Um, phenomenal course. And if you don't stay to the right, uh, the oak tree uh, looks a little bit like the one in your background there. And if you, if you don't stay out to the right, that tree's going to be in your approach shot. It's just a beautifully laid out hole. It's a tough course. And as, as Bruce pointed out, you get a tremendous amount of roll, but you also get, if you're not able to back, you know, back the ball up like the pros can, you get too much roll on the green sometimes. So, but it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful course. I mean, it's a phenomenal, um, a little bit, like he said, a cross between links, a little bit of an Australian look to it. And, um, Something really unique, I think, in that area, in that part of the in that part of the state. Dwayne, one last question for you before we let you go. Just to chat a little bit with us about how the Palmetto Championship came about. Sure. Um, well, <clears throat> Congaree had had made their sort of pitch to um, the PGA Tour to host the 2026 Presidents Cup. Um, that didn't work out. It went to Madonna, but the relationship had been established between PGA Tour and Congaree. 
So when the RBC Canadian Open was canceled due to the lockdowns in, in Canada today, the, um, the PGA Tour really wanted a vent in there. And so the PGA Tour and the Congaree talked again, and they came to us looking, you know, obviously for a title sponsor, came to us, we, you know, knowing that how golf and how what it means to South Carolina and, and to our tourism industry, came to us with an opportunity. Um, we took a look at it very quickly and said, Yes, this can happen. And this was only about 90 days out from when the tournament will actually start. Um, it's pretty amazing what the, the PGA Tour and its championship management team can pull off in a matter of about 90 days. But they were able to say, uh, here's here's what can, it, the benefit can be for us. You know, and as I mentioned earlier, the television coverage. But beyond that, the social media, the media impact around it um, and sort of the gravitas of having another PGA event in our state was just too great to turn down. It was, a, it was a wonderful opportunity for us. Everyone in the legislature was in on it. The governor was in on it, thought it was a great idea. And so when they came and talked to us, we we didn't even have to wait overnight. We we had done our homework a little bit and said yes right off the get-go. And then off and running they went, and here we go, and we're looking forward to next month. All right, Dwayne, thank you for being with us. We know it's just another busy week for you as all the uh, 52 weeks of the year are. But uh, hopefully you'll enjoy a little bit of time out on the golf course. And I know you'll be uh, representing South Carolina well. And we look forward to seeing all the great coverage. Thank you, Bill. Looking forward to the PGA Championship this week in CBS. And again in June with the Palmetto Championship at Congaree. Have a great day. Thanks, Dwayne. You as well. Our, our next guest this morning is uh, really continues to help us build on that golf theme this morning. And I just thought it was important that we pause and, and, uh, Say hi to Kerry Corbett. And Kerry's been a, a tremendous leader in the golf industry, not only locally, but statewide as well as nationally uh, from a National Golf Course Owners Association perspective. But what you might not know is that uh, Kerry is, is retiring. And uh, after 44 years of just terrific service to the Sea Pines Resort, to Hilton Head Island, to Beaufort County, and so many other things. And those of you who know Kerry know that mediocrity isn't in his vocabulary. That's one thing that Kerry has never been about. And uh, a guy that has always seen things for the greater good and was never one who wanted to risk short-term gains uh, to replace long-term benefits. And Kerry, we're just, we're, we're thankful for you. We know that uh, uh, you're looking forward to your retirement. The, um, I think you started back maybe in 1978. Would that be accurate? Good morning, Bill. Yes, that is accurate. I started in uh, January of 1978 with uh, Seafine, so it's been an awesome career. And uh, as a bag attendant at that time, I believe. I started at the entry level. You're exactly right. Yes. Maybe making a little bit more than $3 an hour, but not much? Not much. Maybe even a little less, but uh, it was my start, and it's been an awesome opportunity. Well, you've been one that has really uh, developed the, the game of golf here on Hilton Head Island, kept it, kept it pure, and uh, there's a lot of things that uh, we owe, the community owes Kerry Corbett for your, your commitment. Got a couple questions I want to ask you. Uh, I think uh, everybody will enjoy hearing you answer. Uh, hopefully you have some answers for those, but uh, as far as memories go, what, what would be one of your, your favorite uh, memories from the RBC Heritage through all your years that, that you've been involved there? Well, um, Johnny Miller, when he won 
he's uh, had hit a shot off of the one of the oak trees on the par three seven, and uh, it went in the hole for a hole in one, and uh, so that was unbelievably unique. But there's we've probably the, one of the greatest things is the 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 level of winners that we have had all through the Heritage Classic and the RBC Heritage uh, presented by Boeing that uh, this, and, and then just kind of capping it off this year with Stuart Sink and the story with his son, Reagan, winning our tournament. It was just uh, his third time winning. And um, so it's been been pretty awesome. Kerry, the, you spent prior to last year, really uh, uh, the previous year, several of those trying to uh, re rebuild and, and increase the demand of golf. And then last year with COVID and the pandemic, uh, we all saw the golf numbers grow. What was it like uh, going from needing more golfers to really having all that uh, you could comfortably uh, provide the experience at, at Harbor Town and the other courses there that are part of the Sea Pines Resort? How, how did that go? Well, like we all experienced in March and April, we had no idea what was going to happen. And then uh, kind of late May or early early to late May, the, uh, the the demand started back up. We started getting a little bit more comfortable with uh, trying to move things forward. We're just so fortunate that the Governor McMaster and Dwayne Parrish, and we have a lot of conversations about uh, keeping golf open and being uh, safe, being outdoors. And we just saw throughout, not only in Sea Pines, but throughout the industry and Hilton Head and, and everywhere, the golf was in such great demand everywhere. And so we've experienced that. It has basically not slowed down. It stayed steady all through summer, through the fall. We probably had one of the best falls we've ever had play-wise and uh, through, the, through the winter. And we're seeing the same thing here in 2021. So we're thinking that we kind of thought that maybe it'd start slowing down maybe toward the middle of 21, but we're not anticipating that now. And so it's, it's been a great surge that over the years we've seen golf being in, in a decline. It certainly is not now. And we know that uh, many of the golfers that walked away have now come back and now they've become more avid players. Kerry, last question for you this morning. And, uh, 44-year span over uh, time at the Sea Pines Resort. I know there's not one particular thing that sticks out, but what's a, a proud achievement that uh, you were personally involved with that you think make a, uh, has made a, a great difference for the resort? Well, I reconstructing all of our golf courses over the last uh, probably eight to nine years and just working now with uh, the Riverstone Group and the Goodwin family to see what they're passion is to achieve and it's always the, the be the, the the best we can be they've given us the opportunities and resources and so CPINES is in a tremendously great place now and it's just stationed for the future and it's going to be tremendously good as we move forward so being a being a part of of the growth of CPINES being through all the different regimes that have come come through CPINES and also I've been a a board member with the Heritage Classic Foundation for many years. And that is uh, certainly, I'm very proud of being a part of that. And, and so look forward to continuing on in some capacity in my uh, next chapter on being, being involved in the, in the continuation of golf. Kerry, thank you. I know uh, they'll be celebrating you throughout the week and throughout the month, really. 
as uh, it should be done. And, and we just uh, show appreciative of your commitment to quality and your, your team uh, team approach to things and wanting to always be a great partner, whether it be Low Country Golf Course Owners Association, the Chamber, Heritage Classic Foundation, the, the list is too long to, to go over. But it's uh, it's been a great ride, and it's great to see it. I know the ride's not over, but just looking forward to seeing what that next chapter is for you. Thank you, Bill. All right. That was Kerry Corbett, uh, who's starting to settle in a little bit to the uh, new life as a retiree, but uh, again, finding his, what his next path will be. We're going to transition from golf right now for a minute, and uh, we're always honored to have Dr. Jane Kelly with us. And Dr. Kelly is going to share uh, some of the, the most recent updates on COVID, as well as masking and other information she's going to share with us today. Dr. Kelly, good morning and welcome. Good morning and thank you. And I'm glad to hear that golf continues to be on the rise because I think that that is a, a contributor to our this graph, to the decreases in the number of cases. We are currently in South Carolina at the lowest number of new cases per day since, that we have seen since last May, since May 2020. So as much as we were uh, in previous times, I've talked about being worried about having a surge this spring. Uh, I've got to say it is really impressive that the number of new cases, hospitalizations, deaths are all on the decrease. Um, and this shows the, the figure for the state as a whole, that little in the corner, I've got it for the different regions. Cases are down in every region of the state with the low country being the lowest. Our new case rate is at 66.5 per 100,000. To put that in perspective, when Michigan was at its biggest peak or New York at its biggest peak, it was over 500 cases per 100,000. So uh, COVID hasn't gone away completely, but we're definitely on the downslope and we're very glad to see that. Some folks follow our South Carolina vaccine dashboard showing the percentage of South Carolinians who have had at least one vaccine and those who've had completed vaccination. So I wanted to alert you that we have made a change. This is what the dashboard looked like on Monday. This is what it looks like now because it now includes kids ages 12 and up because we now have Pfizer vaccine available for ages 12 through 17. So it looks a little bit like we went from 36% of South Carolina completed vaccination to a lower number, 34%. How could that be? It's because now we're including ages 12 and up. So this is how we're going to be looking at it moving forward. As I said, Pfizer vaccine now has an amendment to its FDA authorization to now include ages 12 through 15. This is very good news. In this age group, it was 100% efficacious in preventing symptomatic disease. There were no serious adverse events. Yes, kids had some mild to moderate symptoms after vaccination, you know, sore arm, aching all over, about at the same rate and degree as older teens and young adults. It's the same dose, same schedule as adults. So any place that currently has Pfizer vaccine is set to go to vaccinate kids ages 12 through 15 and actually 12 through 17. Um, and one thing to remember though, um, we're gonna talk a little bit about what fully vaccinated people can do is to remember that fully, that our recommendations fully vaccinated means two weeks after your second dose. You're only partially um, protected after that first dose. So if you've got a teenager who gets a, his or her first dose today, 
they will be fully vaccinated, not tomorrow, not in three weeks, but in five weeks. You do need parental, signed parental consent for ages 12 through 15, but the parent doesn't need to be present. Um, age 16 and up, they can sign their own consent. And they can get other vaccines at the same time. And this is true for adults as well. In the beginning, we were saying, if you get your COVID-19 vaccine, don't get any other vaccine for with, you know, within two weeks. That has changed. There's no need to space out those vaccines. And I just want to finish focusing a little bit on how important is it to vaccinate that younger age group? Most of them have mild illness and COVID is not a big deal, except that they do have a high rate of symptomatic illness. Granted, the teenagers, young adults, they don't usually get severe disease. They don't usually get hospitalized, but they do decondition. You know, if you have to isolate for 10 days, you're sick with this thing for 10 days and you're an athlete, you're into sports, you're physically active, you decondition during that period of time. So we are encouraging teenagers to get vaccinated as well for medical reasons, for social reasons, but to, for school reasons, to protect them so that they don't have to, can't, families don't have to cancel that family vacation because they've got a kid isolating. The vaccine has been recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, and what are we doing in DHEC? Well, we're trying to beef up our existing infrastructure. You know, so we've got vaccine available, Pfizer vaccine available at multiple places. Whereas in the past, sometimes one vaccine provider might just have one type of vaccine. Pfizer is the only one you can give to kids age 12 through 17. So we're trying to make sure we have Pfizer available as many different places as possible, as well as the other vaccines. And we're trying to add additional vaccine providers, pediatricians who have adolescents as part of their patient population. And we're asking anybody who works with teens and their parents to suggest considering vaccine and to recommend these vaccination clinics. And we've got school focused strategies. I know school is coming, this semester is coming to an end, but there's also summer school or school related camps, trying to get school focused strategies, family events um, at schools for getting not only the teens vaccinated, but their unvaccinated parents uh, immunized as well. And Walgreens, CVS, Costco, they're all interested in supporting our school events. I'm sure you're all aware of uh, Governor McMaster's order to end South Carolina mask mandates, as well as lifting the mask mandate in schools. I know this has led to some confusion, so I, I just wanted to cover that so that you, there's better understanding. You know, basically the executive order says masks in school are optional. Some kids wear them, some kids don't, and that the school cannot require a child to wear a mask. Uh, same thing with local mask mandates have been invalidated. You as a jurisdiction can't require masks, but businesses can. They can develop and implement their own mask policies um, and they can't, but they can't ask employees or visitors about vaccination status. South Carolina, we can require masks in government buildings and in public transportation. So I know this is, this is confusing. We're in a sort of a transition time about mitigation measures and it's all born of the fact that CDC has recommended fully vaccinated people have such low risk of developing COVID-19 and such low 
risk of transferring that to others, that basically fully vaccinated people, CDC's recommendation, DHEC's recommendation, they can go back to normal activities. People who are not vaccinated, we're still concerned about them. Yeah, the number of cases is down, but it's not zero. So we're still encouraging vaccine, encouraging people who are not vaccinated to still play it safe. There are some exceptions to this recommendation that fully vaccinated people can you know, return to all activities unmasked. The CDC and DHEC still recommends in group settings where we have a number of people who are not vaccinated. That includes school settings where we have kids under age 12 who, for whom we don't have a vaccine we are still recommending masks. So, you know, the recommendation that unvaccinated continue to mask, I know is confusing for a lot of people, but we're hoping that this trend of downward number of cases will continue outdoors safer than indoors uh, and encouraging, you know, if you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. Uh, if you are adamant about remaining unvaccinated that you continue to play it safe. That's all that I've brought for you today. I hope when we reconvene in the fall, I'll have uh, you know, very different messages. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much. And uh, we know you've got the, the 10 o'clock call that you need to jump on, but you've been uh, terrific for us, a great wealth of information. The entire community and region owes you a great debt of gratitude for uh, all that you've shared each and every call for us. So we really appreciate that. Um, thanks for answering all of our questions. And we know that if we have other questions, we'll continue to email. But you've been stellar. Thank you so much, Dr. Kelly. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. That was Dr. Jane Kelly and uh, sharing more thoughts and clearing up some of the CDC uh, advice and how that's transitioning to South Carolina. We're going to go even more local right now with Jeremy Clark. And uh, we're delighted to have our hospital CEO back on. And Jeremy, Tell us what you're seeing locally now. Great, Bill. Thanks uh, Thanks again for having me on this call. A lot of good things going on in the community. I echo your comments about Dr. Kelly. It's always great to have her on this call as well. Um, so there are a lot of great things going on. Uh, but before I get started, I want to wish happy EMS week uh, to all of our first responders out there. Those uh, are the men and women who are on the front line every day of the week, uh, taking care of all of us and who really uh, go out and, and get it done every day of the year, but especially so uh, over this past year. So uh, if you see any of our EMS partners out there in the community this week, please be sure to tell them thank you. Here in our two hospitals, uh, we have a total of two COVID positive patients with one of those in the ICU. Um, so our total number of uh, COVID positive patients over the last two months has really been, uh, has really remained in that zero to four range, which is very manageable for us. Uh, we continue to have plenty of bed capacity, uh, both uh, uh, medical beds and uh, ICU beds as well. So we're ready for uh, whatever may come uh, this way. Like many people in the, um, in the community, we were excited to hear the CDC's recommendations last week that fully vaccinated people can uh, resume their normal activities, which includes uh, going being indoors without a mask. Uh, it was really great to see. I think that's a big step forward for our country and our community as we work to get back to normal. Um, it is important to note that that guidance specifically was not intended for healthcare facilities. And so 
even as we have relaxed our visitor restrictions, so we are allowing visitors again because we know that having visitors is an important part of the healing process. We are asking that people wear masks uh, inside the hospitals uh, when they're here. And I will tell you, Bill, the community has been absolutely great about complying with that and, and helping us maintain this safe environment that we've created uh, over the past year. I'll also give everyone an update on, on vaccines, piggyback on what Dr. Kelly was talking about. Uh, just a reminder that everyone uh, 18 and over is eligible for this free vaccine. If you're 12 and over, you can get the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, to date, our two hospitals have given about 40,000 doses, actually over 40,000 doses uh, over the past few months. If you have not received the vaccine, but you're interested, please go to vaccines.gov. It's very easy to find a local location uh, where you can make an appointment. You can get same day appointments. It's very seamless. It's very easy to do. And, and we're just very appreciative of our of the local pharmacies, of our community partners out there who are providing uh, this vaccine to everyone. In addition to the events on the vaccine.gov website, I would ask everyone just to stay alert for other events that are coming up. Um, for example, tomorrow uh, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. down in Caligny, the Fish Restaurant uh, has partnered with uh, some, some other great organizations in the community like Burke's Pharmacy to offer a vaccination event. Um, and everyone who gets vaccinated is going to get a $15 gift card. So it's a great encouragement for those, for people who have maybe been on the fence, it's a great way for you to get out there and um, and get vaccinated. Again, it's a great partnership between the restaurant, the community, and and Burks, who is providing the uh, the vaccine. No need to register in advance; just show up and get the vaccine. There's also another event coming up this coming Saturday, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Ebenezer Iglesias Church uh, on 35 Pinckney Colony Road in in Okity. Uh, another great partnership between the community and DHEC. Uh, they're supporting that event. Really, anyone in the community can show up and get a vaccination. Again, no need to register. You can just show up at Ebenezer Iglesias Church, 35 Pinckney Colony Road in Okity uh, from 10 to 3 on Saturday. You know, Bill, it's, it's these partnerships and community support that have been so prevalent since the very beginning. You know, I think back to, to a little bit over a year ago, we had people volunteering in the community to make cloth masks for everyone. We had restaurants and individuals bringing food to our frontline caregivers. Uh, we had so many people write cards and send nice notes. Uh, it really inspired uh, my team to continue to push forward um, through some of those early days. And that grew into larger partnerships with the town and the, and the county and hosting these mass events back in the summer um, to more recently the county, Beaufort County, providing us the Buckwalter Recreation Center to host our max event, which allowed us max events which allowed us to uh, vaccinate well over a thousand people a day for a long period of time. And, and just the hundreds of volunteers who have helped give vaccines um, to other members of the community or help, uh, help manage vaccination events uh, over the past few weeks. It's really been incredible to see um, the, the partnership with the community and, and our organization's partnerships just throughout the community. Uh, it's been, really been incredible to see. And just it's one of many things that makes this such a special community to, to live in. So finally, Bill, I want to give you and the chamber some well-deserved recognition as well. You know, this your leadership um, and this call specifically over the past year has just been such a great, uh, such a great thing. From the early days last spring, when you guys were focused on facts over fear, uh, something we talked about a lot back then. It's called it really became the event for the community to go to to find out what was going on, how to keep themselves safe, what was happening nationally, what was happening locally as well. So I'm just honored to have been a part of it and really appreciate the chamber's leadership uh, over the past uh, over the past year as well. So uh, just to wrap up, I want you and, and everyone to know that our hospitals remain ready. 
We appreciate the leadership from our state and local officials. We appreciate everyone's support for our caregivers. Happy EMS week to all of our EMS partners out there. And uh, Bill, I'll turn it back over to you uh, with that. Jeremy, thank you so much. And uh, uh, we appreciate your support and leadership through the past year as well as before that. And we'll continue to appreciate it afterwards. But please give your best to uh, your our best to your staff and let them know how much we appreciate all the, the great things that they have done and uh, helping us get today to where we are in the community regarding the pandemic. So we're certainly appreciate it, appreciative to you and all your team. Great. Thank you. All right, Jeremy, thank you. Our final speaker with us today is going to be a guy that uh, uh, you might recognize. And when we're talking about all things golf, uh, uh, Wesley Bryant. Wesley's a PGA Tour professional, and uh, he was our 20, 2017 uh, Tour champion here at the RBC Heritage, a graduate of the University of South Carolina, where he played golf there. Uh, had a pretty good finish last week out in Texas and is uh, rebounding from some shoulder surgery, but playing well again. Wesley, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Well, it's good to see you. And uh, I know you've been out working on your game this morning, and we thanks for uh, squeezing us in a little bit. You know, one of the things Absolutely. I wanted to, to, to talk about is, is the RBC Heritage. We know that you're one of our, our champions. And then before you were able to get on, uh, Kerry Corbett, who I know that you know from Sea Pines and has had a stellar career there, retiring after 44 years and director of golf, I thought maybe you just might want to say a few things to Carrie before uh, I've got a couple other questions for you. Oh yeah. Carrie. Um, I, I think I, I was quoted maybe during the tournament this or a few weeks ago. Um, Carrie, whether he knew it or not, uh, I think allowed us to sneak on the golf course a little too often as kids uh, just around the back nine and, um, he was always extremely accommodating. Him and John were great. I remember as a kid, a seventh, eighth, ninth grader, writing letters to those guys and Steve Wilmont as well, trying to get into the junior heritage, um, which was a still is a really prestigious junior event. Um, he's always been really good to me, my brother, sister, pops, um, and hate to see him go, but shoot, it was a heck of a run. Well, thank you. He's, he's been a terrific friend and a, a great uh, golf partner for many throughout the years. Uh, looking to looking forward to uh, a head on the calendar. Uh, we've just been talking with the leaders at Congaree and was wondering what your thoughts on Congaree and if you'll be in the in the field for that tournament. You know, I oh, it actually it's your son's fault. He uh, he said, what's one week of the summer? You're definitely not going to play. And I said, I don't think I'm going up to Canada to play. So the the wedding kind of kind of runs in, in the way of the tournament at Congaree. So I'm a I'm a very soft no for that tournament right now. But as far as the PGA Tour going to Congaree, I think everybody's going to be wildly impressed with that place. Um, I think it's going to be the best golf course on the schedule this year um, across the entire PGA Tour and. Uh, it, it's a shame where it falls in the schedule. I don't think they're going to get the field that um, that the it would usually get just trying to go cross country to the U.S. Open the next week. It just logistically doesn't make that much sense for some of the top guys to to play. But as far as golf courses similarities, uh, it could be a good test of golf leading into a U.S. Open. It's going to be long. Um, they can have it set up as tough as they want it to set up. Um, 
but also they can uh, the the beautiful part about that place is they can make it play as fair as they want um with the ability to move tee boxes around pin locations they could have it a birdie fest as well so um i'm interested to see how the tour sets it up um like i said your son your son's wedding got in the way uh of me competing this year but um yeah i i think it'll definitely be a pretty good product to watch on on tv in a few weeks Wesley, you're a good man. As as you know, this uh, this wedding was really planned around an open date on your schedule. We won't tell Sarah that, <laughs> but uh, it was it was your schedule that really set the date for the wedding. And we're glad for your commitment to the wedding. Absolutely, wouldn't miss it for yeah. anything. Talk a little bit about your health. We know you went through and had some uh, shoulder surgery, recovering from that, playing well again. Uh, where are you health wise? Uh, I'm, I'm all the way back. I would say it took about a year post surgery and I had the surgery right at the beginning of 2019. It didn't, it took about a year before I felt like I could give the same type of intensity and practice and preparation to get ready for events. It just, it would wear down really quick on me. Uh, my left shoulder it was. And so it was the one that was pulling across my body. Um, there was a lot of a stress on it and it, it just, it was very uncomfortable even shoot even up to about six months ago but now i would say we're we're back and now i don't think about it it might take a little extra warming up in the morning um before rounds or before practice sessions than beforehand but i don't know if that's just me getting old or what but uh health back to 100 percent um found some some speed that i didn't know was in there i, I don't know if, if it was a little bit of workout rehab combination um versus a little bit of the speed training it was a little bit of the bryson effect i would say um of trying to ramp it up um and find kind of untapped speed and so now uh, i guess we're a couple years post-op now I've, I've probably picked up 10 to 15 miles an hour of ball speed and club speed so um that's been nice and health-wise back to 100 percent for sure Let's let's roll the clock back to, to 2017 when you won, won the RBC Heritage. Talk to us for a minute about what that was like and then why you think it's that this tournament is so popular with the players on tour. Uh, I think, one, it falls in a fun week in the schedule, um, just it being in the South. And uh, I guess it's, got, it's kind of the same thing with the Masters in Augusta, right, where you've got spring break scheduled and all the schools around. So you get you get. Uh, kind of the family atmosphere you get bigger crowds it's also um, tree lined out there so the roars are a little bit louder um, and you're confined in a little smaller space which uh, makes for for it's it's better for the fans to watch and it's also more fun for the the players just to have a little more intimate fan setting there's a lot of times where you hit balls a little bit offline and you're right in the middle of the crowd hitting them uh, through trees and you get those kind of oohs and ahs reactions when they see the shots that you hit from up close. And, um, and I've told plenty of people, if I could have picked any tournament in the world, apart from maybe a major, but I still don't even know if I, if, if I could pick one tournament in the whole world to win, it would have been right kind of in my backyard in South Carolina. So for that to be my first, and I guess only right now, PGA tour win, it was extremely special being able to have all my friends and family there. Um, it was just, it was something I'll never forget for sure. Wesley, before we let you go, talk to us for a little bit on the personal side for a minute. Your lovely wife, Elizabeth, the daughters, Hadley and Winnie. Um, talk about your family life and how that uh, 
transitions to life on the road. Yeah, uh, they actually the first tournament that the the full squad came to it was my wife was pregnant and through the pandemic didn't travel at all. Uh, so I was riding solo and then uh, we had the full squad with Winnie and Hadley out at Harbor Town a few weeks ago. First time on the road. And man, it's a lot. It's a lot traveling with two. Uh, granted, we were just getting the car and driving. We haven't dealt with the, the airport situation yet. Um, but man, one looking back at it. One was a was a cupcake. Two, just pretty much a life wrecker. It it just it it goes <laughs> zero to a hundred real quick with two. So I know there's people on this call that are probably like, oh, we'll try having three, four, five. Well, two two's enough for me right now for sure. But got two sweet little girls. Um, really excited for Hadley. She's now getting to the age where she's kind of asking, how was your day at the golf course, Daddy? Uh, can I come with you? So she's starting to open up and asking those kind of questions. And so I think she's going to have a lot of fun in these coming months in the summer. They're going to travel a little bit or later on in the summer. So looking forward to that. Um, and then my wife, she's, she's amazing. She's a super mom. I don't, I don't know how women do what they do It seeing her with two kids. Uh, it gives me a whole new level of appreciation of what all moms go through. Um, especially my mom having to deal with what she had to deal with. That's a uh, pretty sporty shirt you have on there. Yeah, Roback. Go get you one. Roback. All right. Is that uh, is that one of your sponsors? Yep, one of the clothing sponsors. They're great. Uh, we're actually working on a deal for Old Willie as well. So, yeah, hopefully you'll start seeing his uh, his closet full of this stuff. I like it. That's good. Well, Wesley, we uh, know you want to get back out and practice some more. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your kind words about Kerry and also being a great ambassador for golf, not only in the state of South Carolina, but around the country. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thank you again. Well, that's going to do it for today, and that's going to do it for the summer months. We're going to take uh, a few weeks off, and during the summertime, then we'll be bouncing back in the fall. Um, with more Teletown Halls, the Power Hours. I want to thank our speakers each and every time that we've had them. And most of all, thanking you for dialing in and hearing the latest and latest updates on what's going on locally and, again, uh, regionally and statewide. So we're going to sign off for now. Stay in touch, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Chamber Channel's Power Hour. We encourage you to tune in for future episodes. Never miss one by subscribing to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. 